Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Show. I'm your host, Scott Spratt, a foot fantasy writer for Football Outsiders. Joined today by Derek Klassen, as always on Tuesdays, to hit on the waiver wire targets for Week 7. Derek, I'm still trying to, to regroup, lick my wounds, much like the Bills after Derek Henry ran all over them last night. I had the gall of ranking him not as my top running back this week because of the difficult matchup, but I look kind of stupid. How was your Monday evening? <laughs> Uh, I, you know, I mean, the Bills did come in with what the number one rushing DVOA, and they have like mm-hmm. the best two deep in the entire NFL up front. So, I mean, I think you were probably like right to do that. And then Derrick mm-hmm. Henry is just good Was enough I? that he can do it every <laughs> once. <laughs> I basically I felt like Josh Norman uh, from last year when Henry just oh, like God. picked him up and threw him. So I'll try not to do that again the rest of the way. Uh, but today we, we should really focus on the waiver wire options for week seven. Uh, before we even get into that, let me mention that we are Monday through Friday live from 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time. Some combination of me, Derek, Aaron Schatz, Mike Tanier, and others. Uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday, we're doing non-fantasy content. But I'm here Tuesdays with Derek to do the waiver wire. And then Fridays for a fantasy preview. I have an article up on footballoutsiders.com breaking down all of the waiver wire options for week seven. And Derek, with this scouting expertise, is going to help me figure out which guys I'm too high on, too low on, et cetera, which I think this week, Derek, might be really important because between all these buys, and there's actually, I think, six teams on buy for week seven, there's there's not a lot of options right now. So we're going to hit on some guys that we've talked about before that are still out there in a handful of leagues. And hopefully you can give us some thoughts on teams more generally in some of these circumstances, because I think they're going to help people, not just for the pickups, but for, you know, judging these guys going forward. Let's get that started with the Seahawks and Alex Collins. The big news heading in the last, uh, I can't even remember when it was, was that Thursday? Um, Regardless, it was, you know, that Chris Carson was, I guess, kind of unexpectedly going on injured reserve. The sense I think was that he might be able to play this week, but Pete Carroll was kind of playing coy about it. But then bam, he's on IR. Suddenly Alex Collins looks kind of like a bell cow back. He's had 17 and 21 touches the last two weeks with Carson sidelines, but then there are other things going on here. Uh, One, he might have suffered a bit of an injury, hip and and glutes issues, unclear whether he's going to have his status for this week threatened, but also Rashad Penny has a chance to come back this week as well. So Derek kind of hit on your general thoughts about Collins and, and kind of where he stacks up talent wise with the other Seahawks back, because I think there's a chance that he might be a very useful fantasy player for you for multiple weeks here. Yeah. I mean, I, I still really like Alex Collins um, to be honest with you. Cause even if Penny comes back to me, Penny is more of like, he's kind of just going to trudge ahead and, and get the yards um, that he can and kind of just um, take like a body control, um, you know, fall forward on contact kind of yeah. uh, pace to his rushing approach. Whereas Collins, I think like, he does a little bit. He does a much better job, I think, of just navigating um, the line of scrimmage, um, which I think is especially valuable when the Seahawks' offensive line can kind of be up and down. Um, so I think the fact that he can find some of those rushing lanes that aren't necessarily like accessible for your typical back, I think, is really valuable. Um, he hasn't quite been as good of a pass catcher as I think maybe we were hoping he could be. I think especially yeah. last week he was he was pretty. I think he had one catch for like negative yardage, which is not very good. Yard, yeah. Yeah. The <laughs> um, special is what we call that in loser league uh, settings. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he's kind of been a little bit disappointing in that regard, but I think as a runner, he just, he just provides something that I think that running back room really doesn't have right now. And I think even when Penny comes back, he's probably still going to get, I think a decent share of the workload um, for that reason. I think you even saw against um, Pittsburgh, like, he didn't really get off to the greatest start, but he's kind of one of those runners that once he starts to feel out what kinds of fronts, um, if the if the fronts are playing any games or anything like that, he he just gets a really good feel over the course of the game and he starts to to manage that stuff really well. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really important that he's he's as elusive as he is because as mentioned, he's not getting a ton of the targets. I was kind of hoping that might go up with Geno Smith because with Wilson, you kind of think of him as a downfield thrower. With Smith, you would expect him to maybe you know, rely a little bit more on his skill players after the catch, after contact, but hasn't happened so far. But it's it's important that Collins can kind of do more than what's there for him because, you know, the Steelers are just kind of the beginning of the difficult part of their schedule. I think they have the Buccaneers coming up who last year were the number one DVOA run defense. I think the 49ers are are in the mix in the future too. They're a much better defense than I think people realize. Uh, So this, it may not be a tremendous slate of opportunities here for Collins. And if he's not catching the ball a lot, we kind of need him to continue what has been, you know, 4.7 yards per carry so far. 
and because a lot of this production has happened the last week or two, we don't really have a lot of the advanced metrics to kind of judge him on the yards after contact and stuff. But from what I'm seeing visually, like I'm, I think I'm seeing what you're seeing is that like this is more than just a take what's there type of back. And I'm hoping that that can lead to these opportunities because it's really not a great situation around him right now, is it? With Again, Geno Smith, like obviously a big downgrade from Wilson, but not the best offensive line. It's just, it's kind of, it has to be him kind of creating himself, right? Yeah, I think so. I, I just think kind of like you were mentioning too, I think he does a good enough job of that. And I think he's, if nothing else, the best back on that um, team at doing that. Granted, I think uh, on the one hand, he's also not going to generate you very many explosives. I don't think he's particularly, you know, I don't really think he has that extra gear where he's going to, you know, rip off mm-hmm. a 40 yard game very consistently. But the thing is like, I'm not sure any of the other Seattle backs are particularly great at that either. So it's not like yeah. he's missing something compared to his peers there. Whereas I do think he offers some of that, um, you know, shiftiness, I think particularly in between the tackles and at the second level that see that Seattle's other running backs just don't really provide right now. So this is a challenging one because Carson's injury is a neck injury. We really just don't know a ton about it. It's, it's the kind of thing where it wouldn't stun me if he didn't play again this season, but he also might be absolutely fine coming off of IR. So tough to judge, but I recommended a 36% fab bid for players where Collins is still out there. It's about 50% of both ESPN and Yahoo leagues right now. Do you have a sense of whether that's too high or too low, or maybe in relation to the number two player we'll discuss Khalil Herbert? Is it, is it weird that I'm putting Collins ahead of him? Um, I do think that like, if Seattle gets players back, um, compared to like when, uh, I think the bears maybe get players back. I I think Collins is in a better spot. Like if both running back rooms Mm -hmm. are fully healthy, um, Herbert, and we'll talk about it in a little bit is probably better in like an immediate sense. But I think if you're looking for a guy who's going to continue to give a high floor at the running back position for the rest of the season, regardless of who comes back into each player's running back rooms, Collins, I think I feel a little bit more comfortable about. Okay. Well, let's pivot into that Herbert discussion. Uh, I recommended a 21% fab bid for him, which is lower, probably surprising given how productive he's been as the basically only back the Bears had last week with Damian Williams out on the COVID list. Herbert had 19 carries for 97 yards and a touchdown, caught two balls for 15 yards, actually took every touch that a running back took for the Bears for the week. So very dominant, I would say very you know effective in that opportunity and what seemed like a pretty tough matchup against the Packers, if only from a game script perspective. But it's it's tough for me to go full on here because there's so many other Bears backs that could be in the mix, even if they weren't last week. I mean, the most obvious of those is Damian Williams. He's a little bit of a question mark, I would say, coming into this week. He went on the COVID list late last week, I think either Thursday or Friday. We don't know what his vaccine status is, but if the chance is that he maybe wasn't vaccinated, then he would have to be quarantined for 10 days, which would put him back really close to Sunday week seven. So we don't know if he'll be back. Hopefully he will be um, for his sake. But then David Montgomery, currently on injured reserve, I think he's pretty likely to return in week 11 after the Bears have their week 10 bye. So you got a couple of big names there. And then Tariq Cohen potentially could come back at any point too. I haven't been seeing any updates on any of this, but um yeah, like he, he's eligible to return from the PUP list, recovering from a torn ACL. I don't know if he's going to play or not. It's just, but there's just so many guys that could be in this mix here that I'm, I'm sort of making the judgment that I think Collins has a, a likelier chance to be the bell cow for for longer. Uh, but why don't you tell us what you've seen from Herbert as a player so far? Because that may be a good guide to whether Herbert deserves to be on a bench at the very least, while while the other backs sort of sort themselves out. I've actually been really impressed with uh, Khalil Herbert, and I didn't really watch him very much coming out of college. Mm -hmm. Um, So I didn't really have like a great frame of reference for what I was getting into these past couple of weeks. But um, I mean, he just does a really good job. One, I think, you know, he's not the biggest back, but I think he's like plenty thick. And I think he does a really good job running between the tackles, um, taking the yards that are there. But I think what has impressed me most is that for a guy his size, he's relatively shifty and actually does a pretty decent job at the second level. Like, working some really odd angles around linebackers and, and really making them work um, for tackles and, mm-hmm. and obviously making a few of them miss every now and then. So I, I think he has a pretty decently high floor with the, just his body type and the way that he likes to run between the tackles, but he has enough of a ceiling with juice at the second level that I think he's like a pretty dang good, like legitimate running back. I just yeah. think that to your point leading into this segment, Montgomery is going to be back at some point, Damian Williams, um, 
while maybe not a better overall player, I think does offer more in space um, overall than Herbert does. So that's something entirely new. And then even though I don't think Cohen would at all tear into Herbert's carries, just because I don't really think they even want Cohen running the ball anymore. um, That is a guy who would take away any potential um, pass catches that Herbert might be getting. So I think to your point, Collins is probably like the better long-term potential workhorse guy, but Herbert might be the better player. He's just in like, one of the most loaded running back rooms in, in the in the league right now. To my amateur eyes, Herbert, it seems like he has really good vision. Like he's finding mm-hmm. these cutback lanes and stuff that I don't think a lot of backs would see. And then suddenly it's kind of making more sense. Like, you know, he was a six round draft pick. You're like, I don't really have a lot of expectations for a guy drafted in that range. But to me, that's a skill that might be harder to pick up in the pre-draft process than some of the like athletic measurable type of stuff. Do you buy into that at all? And is that is that like a reason to maybe have longer term optimism for Herbert? A little bit. And because like the guys who get like a lot, a lot of credit for vision are usually the ones where it's so painfully obvious that you couldn't miss it. Like Zeke Elliott at Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, he's like plenty athletic, too. But when you watch Zeke at Ohio State, there was such a like clear like it you, you it almost felt like he was like seeing into the matrix with the way that he he, <laughs> he ran sometimes um and unless you're at that level sometimes it's a little bit harder um to, to really buy in a, on a guy at a college level when you're just like oh he has good vision but maybe he's not like the freakiest athlete yeah i think that's how you get a lot of these guys who fall into day three because they're not necessarily bad players it's just harder to see like what their dynamic skill set is and it can be a little bit trickier to judge like what their vision is going to do, how it translates into the NFL. Um, it's also entirely possible. You know, I think he was at Virginia Tech and might, people might have just. He was a one-year wonder, at, like a transfer to Virginia Tech, right? So like there yeah. wasn't the, there wasn't years to build the momentum for what he was as a prospect the way that there right. was for Elliott or other players. It, exactly. That, I, and I think that has a, a lot of it too, where like, especially like, I think a lot of times with running backs coming out of college, teams like to see these guys who are workhorses and who have done it for a a long period of time. And when that wasn't the case, I think that was a little bit trickier to buy in. Yes. By the way, I was confused earlier about upcoming schedules. It's Herbert that has the bucks coming this week. Then the 49ers and the Steelers (laughs) three, number 16 and number six teams and run defense DVOA. Uh, Probably another reason that I ended up having Collins a little bit higher, but I mean, from like a dynasty type of perspective is like, mm-hmm. this seems like suddenly like a real gem that you might still be able to acquire. Uh, so I think that's a sign of encouragement. We'll just have to see how many opportunities he gets over the rest of the season. He definitely capitalized on his maybe one week as the bell cow back last week. Hope he gets more chances. All right, let's shift gears to some other positions. We've got Jalen Waddle coming up next wide receiver for the dolphins. Uh, he's kind of been in and out of the waiver column over the course of the season. He's pretty close to universally owned in ESPN, 75%, but just 60% of rosters in Yahoo right now. If he's out there in your league, I'm suggesting a 12% bid. And a lot of this is coming from the discrepancy I'm seeing with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback and Tua at quarterback. And, you know, you can comment on this a little bit, Derek. I kind of fell into a trap with this potentially with Mike Gesicki because uh, Tua only threw like a handful of targets to, to Gesicki in week one, but then, threw a ton to him last week when all of these other Dolphins receivers are out. So, you know, who can say how many times Waddle's going to see the ball when the Dolphins have their full complement of receivers, hopefully going forward with, you know, Will Fuller and Preston Williams and everything. But 10 catches, 70 yards, two touchdowns on 13 targets last week. That was four more than anybody else. Waddle's playing almost every snap right now. His 26.9% target share with Tua would be top 10 among wide receivers if that was what was happening over the course of the full season. What have you seen from him as a prospect? Do you think that he has a chance to be like a real impact fantasy player going forward, assuming Tagalavea can, can stay healthy now? I think so. I mean, I think Tua is going to continue to like throwing to him. I think part of it is it's always nice when you have a guy that you played with in college. I think that that's always something that, that you want to lean on. I mean, we're mm-hmm. seeing it with Joe Burrow in Cincinnati with yeah. um, Jamar Chase. And I think that has that factors into some of it. I think some of it, too, is like, I don't think Miami was as comfortable or as good doing some of their RPO stuff with Jacoby Brissett as they are with um, Tua Tagovailoa. And I think Jalen Waddle is their best player for those type of things where, you know, maybe you just have um, inside zone or like a um, like power one way. And then you throw the quick like eight yard, you know, 10 yard glance right behind it. Jalen Waddle is their best player for that because he's just so incredibly explosive. He did it a ton at Alabama. Um, so I think it's kind of just like a really good, you know, blend of offensive styles for Jalen Waddle to to get a lot of targets. Um, 
I think he's going to continue to to produce. Honestly, um, I, I think what's kind of encouraging in the way that he produced, especially last week, is yeah. he did a lot of like the short to intermediate stuff, which is not really even why you drafted him. You drafted him because he's incredibly explosive down the field. He's obviously good at the short and intermediate stuff, but you expect that these explosive plays are going to come at some point. And even if they didn't really last week, uh, I think you have to imagine that he's still going to get enough volume in the you know down to down basic stuff. And then these explosive plays are going to come at some point, even if Tua is maybe not the best, you know, throw it down the field. Yeah, it seemed like Henry Ruggs was such a natural player to compare Waddle to. And then mm-hmm. when Ruggs was kind of only a downfield play threat last season and had basically zero fantasy value, I almost feel like that kind of hurt Waddle by association entering drafts mm-hmm. this year. But like Waddle's got the type of role that we were hoping Ruggs would have for his fantasy value, right? Where it's like, chances for explosives down the field, but also the more consistent target volume with some of these dump offs and stuff. So to me, like that's, that's a really intriguing possibility for fantasy, assuming that, that the tongue of can be a lot better at quarterback than Brissett was right. I'm also really encouraged by the fact that um, while the three touchdowns in the two weeks with two at quarterback, that may be a little bit unsustainable. It is pretty well supported by 1.7 expected touchdowns based on like where he's seeing his targets. He has mm-hmm. three targets inside the five yard line in that stretch too. So again, it's it's not just between the 20s downfield type of targets. There's there's a diversity to this role that I think can, can turn him into a relevant fantasy option for you. All right, next up, we got a guy that was traded, Zach Ertz, tight end now of the Arizona Cardinals. I'm suggesting an 8% fab bid here. I'm a bit of a mixed mind. Like we've been, we've been desperate for Ertz to get out of uh, Philadelphia for his value and for Dallas Goddard's because they were kind of eating into each other. Had actually surprisingly similar target shares, I would say, given the, the relative ages there uh, and Goddard being the, the better talent you would think at this point in his career. But with the Cardinals, you know, I don't know. Max Williams, he was having more fantasy value than I expected for a blocking only player, but there was a bit of a mismatch between his his uh, volume of snaps playing about, you know, 75 plus percent of snaps in weeks one to four and a 15.5% target share in recent weeks that was, you know, 14th. I think that was kind of him peaking there. So do you think that Ertz, like, is he a better talented receiver than Williams is at this point? And is that going to be enough to maybe boost him up to the the borderline tight end one, tight end two range that you would probably need for him in, in shallow formats? I have a lot of reservations about this. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, part of it is... Ertz just doesn't have the juice that he used to. And like yeah. the argument might be that like <clears throat> he never really won with athleticism. Um, he was always a guy who just had a really good sense for finding soft spots and zones, um, bodying you up if you're trying to play him in man coverage, you know, mm-hmm. um, stuff like that. And he's still going to have some value doing that. But like not having any juice at this point, I think in his career, especially like after the catch it is really um, disappointing. I think part of it too is like, if the typical value of a tight end is supposed to be, or of Ertz in particular is supposed to be this like short to, you know, maybe intermediate, you know, security blanket type kind of over the middle. I just don't think that that's a player that Kyler Murray is going to get a ton of value out of, especially out of a guy that's going to be, you know, kind of coming in mid season. I think that's just not, I just don't think that that's really what um, he's going to get a lot of value of. I think it's going to be nice for the offense that it's there as like a threat but I just don't think that Murray is going to be that interested in targeting it very much. So I'm not too, too in on this um, as a fantasy buy. I think it's good for Arizona that they tried to get another body at tight end and make sure they had um, some healthy, you know, mm-hmm. uh, experienced players there. But from a fantasy perspective, I'm just not very excited. I don't think. Yeah. I love planking on the YouTube chat says that's too many mouths to feed in Arizona. Yeah. And I kind of feel the same way. Like, we've been desperate to try to make, you know, Christian Kirk and Rondale Moore happen for you in fantasy. And that really hasn't happened yet, but I do want to hear your thoughts on, you know, if Ertz by not being with the team all season, maybe being less of a versatile player than Max Williams from a blocking perspective, et cetera, what is that going to mean for let, let's say for Christian Kirk specifically, because Kirk last week, he set a new season high with an 85% offensive snap share, five catches, 75 yards and a touchdown at eight targets, which led the team by two. Now, that type of thing has been kind of whack a mole all season with all of these guys, but is it possible that the the loss of Williams is going to lead to more reliance on three receiver sets and guys like Kirk and Rondale Moore maybe shifting their way to some fantasy relevance? The overall target share this year hasn't been, been very good, but it, it was better last week, and I was curious if you think that'll continue. 
Um, maybe not like a seismic shift, but I think it's definitely helpful. And I think you're, you're probably going to get a few more snaps and a few more targets to, to wide receivers and stuff like that. Um, I think especially maybe like forced stuff over the middle. I mean, they, they might try to do a lot more like getting a lot of these guys on shallows, maybe like tunnel screens to attack the middle of the field. Cause honestly, like a lot of, you know, play design or, or whatever you want to call it is it doesn't really so much matter, like how you are attacking the short uh, middle of the field, whether that's throwing to a tight end, whether that's running the ball, whether that's tunnel screens, it kind of you can kind of just do whatever you want. And so I think it's entirely possible that Arizona shifts a little bit away from getting those targets to tight ends, maybe just trying to get like their yak guys um, some touches in that area. So I think Emmanuel Sanders makes an interesting comparison because his 174 uh, target percentage and, and then uh, Kirk's is like right at the same at 17.3%. So it's just like, could these players be the same thing? Just, that's not a high enough target share you would think to turn them into fantasy relevant options. But then suddenly Sanders is one of the wide receiver leaders in both touchdowns and expected touchdowns of the position. Kirk is lacking a bit there, but does have three touchdowns on this season. Is Ertz going to disrupt that in the red zone? Like even if Ertz isn't going to have enough targets to really be a, a hugely relevant tight end option, you already have Hopkins there. Like, are there too many more obvious red zone targets that it's going to prevent Ertz? Uh, I mean, prevent, prevent Kirk from like having the, the red zone value that may be elevating Sanders to flex territory. It's hard to say because Murray really doesn't operate the red zone the way a normal quarterback does. In my mm -hmm. opinion, like he, he can obviously do like the quick stuff where he's just throwing to Hopkins and you're, you're throwing a jump ball or whatever. And, and Hopkins is obviously very good at that. But like a lot of the time in the red zone, when they're throwing the ball, Murray is trying to break the pocket as soon as possible, which I'm not even saying is a bad thing. He has a really good understanding of like, eyeing the first thing he wants to see and then just knowing like the best play for him rather than trying to see the field from this condensed um, space when he's shorter in the pocket it's tough like it just that's just the reality of what he is as a player but he's so good at getting outside of the pocket and he knows how to do it that mm -hmm. I think he's kind of just accepted that that's the best way for him to play in the red zone and so I think that makes trying to delineate how they're going to get their red zone touches really tough because it's just such like a chaotic environment Pretty safe for pretty much everybody except for Hopkins, who I think we yeah. know is going to get those targets. I think where I net out is that I think both Ertz and Kirk should probably be on your fantasy benches right now that I just don't really want to start them. I'd like to see this for a couple of weeks and see if there's any type of subtle shifts that maybe enable either of them to be fantasy relevant options. But I think that for now, I'm probably guessing that it's going to be a little bit more of a whack-a-mole situation where besides Hopkins and, and obviously Murray himself, there's, there may not be the fantasy options that you want, even if this offense is one of the better ones in the league overall. Uh, and I want to mention, yeah, thanks. I love planking for the comment. I see you have a question too. We're going to get to that later because one of the players you discussed is one of our waiver options. But thanks to everybody for following along with us on YouTube live, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time every day, but on both Tuesdays and Fridays when it's the fantasy stuff. We're going to take all your questions and hold them to the end for a bit of a QA session. So we'll get back to you guys on that. Thanks so much for, for watching live. But sticking with the waiver wire uh, options for the week, Derek, let's shift over to Sterling Shepard, wide receiver for the Giants. He had a really quick start to the year and then kind of picked up where he left off after missing a couple weeks with injury. 10 catches, 76 yards on 14 targets, led the team by three, played 91% of offensive snaps. You know, I'm going to guess that he got dropped in about a third to a half of leagues just because of the injury. I mean, people think it was pretty transparent that he was going to be a pretty effective fantasy option. He actually has a 28.4% target share, his three healthy games. That is sixth tied with Tyreek Hill at the position. I mean, the Giants, they're absolutely injured up to the gills, right? And we don't know whether Kenny Galladay is going to be back this week. Kadarius Tony suffered an ankle injury. Um, I guess it was really more of a re-aggravation at the beginning after like six snaps last week. So there just aren't a lot of guys here. Uh, but tell me what you think about Shepard and maybe where he'll stack up to both Galladay and Tony when those guys are all healthy on the field together. Is Shepard more of a short-term fantasy option for you? Kind of what I'm suggesting maybe with that 5% fab bid? Or do you think that you know going forward, he can actually have fantasy value all the way through the season? I think he can have value. Like I really like what Sterling Shepard provides for this offense because I think he is their best guy in the like one to five yard area, whether it's um, shallows, hitches, slants, um, whatever it is, speed outs. I mean, yeah, I think he's just their best guy at giving Daniel Jones those easier throws. And I think Daniel Jones is actually pretty good with like pre-snap recognition stuff. And he's really good at seeing those throws um, just based on leverage, what the coverage is, the front, all that stuff. 
I think he's actually pretty good at that. And if Shepard is their best guy for that, I think that's always going to give him some value. Um, and then I think Shepard is still pretty good over like the intermediate middle area of the field. I, I'm not really sold that he's going to generate that many explosives. I know he had the one earlier in the year against, uh, I think he'd be like Patrick Sertan on like a catch and mm-hmm. run or something like that. Um, those might not happen all the, uh, all the time, but I think he just provides so much stability over the middle of the field and in the short area for this offense um, that he's kind of always going to have value because I mean, their other like best guy for that is Evan Ingram, who like, frankly is just horrifically inconsistent. Um, and it's really like better with the ball in his hands than he is at getting the ball in his hands. Um, so I, <laughs> yeah. so I, I kind of think that Sterling Shepard is always going to have some value in this offense, even if guys like Tony and come, uh, Galladay come back because like, Galladay, I think, is a lot more of like a, a sideline guy. He's a guy yeah, I think you want to press down the field, contested situations and stuff like that. And Tony, I'm really coming around on Tony as like a legitimate receiver, but I still don't think he provides a lot of the safety net, safety valve stuff that Shepard does over the middle of the field. He's a lot more of a guy you're, you're trying to work open into space and stuff like that. So like in an ideal version of a healthier Giants offense, do you have Tony on the outside and Shepard on the inside? And that way you have like all three receivers on the field together. Is that, is that what they're trending toward? Do you think? That would probably be what I would want to do. And then you can kind of mix in Darius Slayton um, just mm-hmm. kind of as like the, I don't know, like a change up to the offense in a way. Um, but it seems like Tony is kind of, I still think Darius Slayton is actually probably better at like working himself open on straight vertical routes than Tony might yeah. be right now. I'm not sure if that's something he's as comfortable with, but I think Tony is um, convincing me that he's a lot more of a legitimate outside route runner than I, I really thought he was coming out of college or even than he was in like the first three, three, four weeks of the season. Well, this may be me buying into the hype a little bit too much, but Tony is actually the one of these fantasy players that I would want the most in fantasy with an eye toward the fantasy playoffs. In the short term, it may be tough. The Giants have their bye in week 10. And given that that ankle injury, the reaggravation happened, I feel like he's a major question mark for week seven. May only have one game or so of giving you potential value before the bye. But in that second half of the season, I'm really intrigued. Tony's actually been targeted on 37% of his snaps the last two weeks, including those three targets and snips, uh, six snaps last week. That's hard to say. Um <laughs> But again, yeah, like that that was during the same period when all of these other guys are injured, including Saquon Barkley. It's its tough to unpack to me how much of this is like a Tony breakout and how much of it is it Daniel Jones throwing it at the only viable option. Uh, I think Dante Pettis ended up having a ton of targets last week. So like these sort of things can happen when there aren't other options. But do you think Tony can be a heavy volume guy when both he and Shepard are playing, when Galladay's playing, when Saquon's playing? Um I know you're impressed by the talent, but like, is that, is that in the realm of possibility? I'm not positive. Like any, like, I just don't know how he would be a super volume guy at this stage in his career. Um, Just because, like I said, I don't think he separates down the field particularly well right now. Um, And then I I don't know. He's not like a particularly good contested catch guy either. Um, And he does do a good job of separating. So maybe he's just not going to get himself in those situations very much, but like, it's the NFL. You're going to play good corners yeah. and they're going to man you up and you're going to have trouble at some point. Um, and I'm, he, he plays a lot smaller than his six foot frame suggests in a lot of ways. So I don't think he's going to be very good um, in a lot of those contested situations. So I think he is a, he's shown he's, he's a good player. He's very explosive. He can get the ball in his hands, which they've actually shown they can do a pretty good job of getting the ball in his hands, even on like non gadget plays. Um, you know, he's been working himself open. They've also just been running some simple hitches and stuff like that versus off coverage that can get the ball into his hands very quickly. But he's, I think just not a complete player yet to be that kind of like, you know, workhorse wide receiver, if there really is one, um, which is not to say he's like a bad player. Maybe he'll get there next year or whatever. I think it's just a little too early, um, for that to be the case. Yeah. I love planking on YouTube kind of says something, something similar to what you were saying, where the Giants could potentially scheme Tony open and not just specifically in gadget types of ways. So I think that's a source of optimism. I also optimism too, is that the other Giants receivers, while they may be relatively healthier at the very moment, it's not like, you know, Sterling Shepard hasn't been hurt. I think he's missed at least three games in, in four of the last five seasons. Um, Kenny Galladay is just like a hamstring injury waiting to happen at all times. Like it wouldn't be shocking to me if, in December, Tony was the only one of those guys that was healthy just by circumstance. So to me, that gives him a higher upside as well. Uh, and, and so that's I think that's a good reason to have him on your bench, even if you don't necessarily expect a ton of value from him over the next month or so. 
And the last thing I'll say is like if Shepard does get hurt, who is obviously a better slot player for them, mm-hmm. um, Tony can play in the slot. I know he's he's played a lot more outside, um, I think to this point in his NFL career, but like he can go back inside. I think he did a lot of that at Florida. So uh Black Taps, he's implying that I, I think that the Giants may be playing Tampa. I don't know when that is that this week or is that in two weeks? Um, I don't sure. know. I haven't looked at the schedule yet to say, but yeah, Tampa may not be the best defense to to play your Giants against. But then again, if Tampa goes up by multiple scores, you might be able to game script your way to some fantasy success, even if the team isn't doing so well. So remains to be seen, but check out my start and sit content when we get there. And I'll give you advice at that point. Uh, but sticking with the waiver stuff, Derek, Ricky Seals-Jones up next, tied in for the Washington football team. We're down at the fab bids where I'm saying 2% here and, and 1% along a lot of these guys the rest of the way. So these may be really more deeper league options than anything else, but tight end is a bit of a wasteland, kind of like the way it always is. And Seals-Jones, what you like is the playing time is, is definitely there. He averaged between 10 and 18% of offensive snaps the first three weeks. Logan Thomas got hurt, and he's played at least 93% of snaps the three weeks since. He played 100% last week, saw four catches, 58 yards, and a touchdown on six targets. So, I mean, that's that's a workload that you can't really find on the waiver wire right now. And so while that's the case, I think Thomas is going to miss. He's definitely missing this week because he's still on injured reserve. But it sounded to me like the initial reports was that it was going to be like a full month plus injury is a, a severe hamstring injury. So I think you're going to probably have at least two games here of potential production. And while the matchups aren't great in the Packers and the Broncos, Seals Jones is playing so much that I'm suggesting that maybe he's a decent fantasy option for you as maybe a high-end tight end too. But do you think that's getting carried away uh, with what you see from a talent perspective? Uh, I mean, I kind of think it's one of those situations where the talent just doesn't really matter. I, I mean, to your point, like he's mm-hmm. going to end up playing a lot of these snaps. And it's not just that he's going to play a lot because Thomas is out it's that he's really their best like big body player. Like a lot of their receivers are good, but they're a little bit smaller or like average stature. It's kind of the thing with Dawson Knox and Buffalo, right? Where like Knox is very clearly their best like big player threat. Uh, Their best guy to like box people out in the red zone, short yardage, stuff like that. So even if Ricky Seals Jones is not a particularly great player, I think he's going to get all the playing time and he fills like a particular role in the offense that nobody else really can. And I think, that's going to net him targets, even if his hit rate on, on finishing on those targets is not particularly <laughs> special. I mean, it seems a little silly to even bring up, but like it, I feel like Cam Sims injury actually plays a bit of a role here because while he's technically a wide receiver, he's like, what, six foot four or five or whatever, and could be that type of red zone role. So like, while in just like in a, in a, a versus B situation, you wouldn't have expected Seals Jones to completely fill what Logan Thomas was doing for this team and being a tight end one for you. He's kind of having to play both parts there where, like you said, like the other players on the team, like McLaurin, uh, like Deami Brown, when he's healthy, I don't know if Curtis Samuel is coming back anytime soon. They're just, they don't fill the same box. It actually, it reminds me a little bit of the Cowboys with Dalton Schultz with what you've been saying, right? Where you have a lot of players that have a lot of talent, but they're kind of in a similar grouping to me where you have this, just one other guy that has to get fantasy value because of his uniqueness in the offense. Absolutely. And, and, you know, like it's not exciting to pick up a player who's not particularly great and probably won't even continue to start when the other guy comes back. But I mean, yeah, I think we're both saying it like he just fills something in the offense that isn't there. And even if it's not like the sexiest option, that's going to have value. Yeah. So I love planking. seems like he may know Ricky Seals-Jones, so big advocate there. Take take that with a grain of salt from a bias perspective. But he's he's talking about uh, Taylor Heineke particularly targeting him. And I'm curious if you think that Ryan Fitzpatrick's potential return within the next few weeks, is that going to change the equation at all with this offense? Like I know that Fitzpatrick has a reputation as being a field stretcher, and I feel like that might make a big difference for, for McLaurin specifically. But like what about the tight ends in this offense? How will that change with a different quarterback? I think it's probably fine because Fitzpatrick is a field stretcher, but he's also very much a, I'm very willing to just throw it up to the big guy and, and let him try to make a play. I, I don't think he minds doing that. Um, and I don't really think either Heineke or Fitzpatrick care about like how little Seals Jones has played in the offense. Like, I don't think they're as interested yeah. in like, oh, I have to have perfect chemistry with this guy. They're like, no, that's the big guy. I'm going to throw the big guy the football. <laughs> and I think both are very aggressive in that way, kind of to their detriment at points. But I think in terms of generating fantasy value, I think it's going to be probably fine for Ricky Seals Jones, regardless of who the quarterback is. 
That's the beauty of fantasy because interceptions, they don't really matter so much for the skill players from a fantasy perspective. So hopefully Seals Jones will just keep catching the touchdowns <laughs> no matter how many picks and turnovers his, uh, his quarterbacks are causing. So that's fine. Uh, let's move on to a situation that, at least for me as a, a projector of fantasy stats, has not been super fun, and that's the Ravens running back rotation. Derek, I, the last like four weeks, basically, I'm projecting Tyson Williams, and then he's inactive. And then I'm projecting Le'Veon Bell, and then he's inactive. Speaking of the total whack-a-mole situation, where last week it was Bell, and he ended up playing a decent bit. But I'm actually suggesting that Devontae Freeman may be like a 1% fab target, maybe in your deeper formats. He's played a little bit more over the last two weeks. I mean, he was in the like 8 to 16% snap range in weeks two, three, and four, but up to 27% and 30% the last two weeks. That's not a ton. That's like not even what Gus Edwards was last year. But part of this is banking on the idea that Latavius Murray suffered, suffered an ankle injury late in the game. And we don't really know yet what the severity is, but you know, if that ends up being a high ankle sprain, that that could be a multi-week absence. Do you think that Freeman has the more similar between the tackles runner could be the, the guy that might replace Murray. Or do you think the fact that Murray's best skill is his pass protection might make bell the replacement here? Or just what do you make of all of these running backs now that you've had a chance to see them in the offense for a handful of weeks? I'm just done trying to figure out <laughs> yeah. who is like what they want to do um, with the offense. Cause you know, like earlier on, I thought it was like, <clears throat> okay, Tyson Williams, yeah. Because he's so explosive, maybe they just want to generate explosives with the run game. And then they very quickly like stopped doing that. And then they started really leaning on Latavius Murray. And I was like, oh, maybe they just want to work force between the tackles. And then now they bring in Le'Veon Bell, um, who is another good pass protector and can be a pass catcher, um, even though he really hasn't to this point. Um, and then they have Defonta Freeman, who is like more of like the kind of raises the floor in a way of what your offense can be. I think he's just a very sharp runner, even if he's not as explosive as he used to be. Yeah. He did have one really good run um last week that he kind of got out to the edge and did a really good job of but I think generally he's not that great but like I, I think it's just so hard to to judge what they want to do with the offense the only reason I would maybe pick him up is kind of like you mentioned like the severity of whatever Murray's injury is if it's bad then yes he's probably just going to at the very least split carries with Le'Veon Bell which is probably going to be enough to make him relevant but if all three of those guys are healthy it kind of seems now like maybe their approach is just constantly rotating all of them. So you just always have fresh legs, which is something that is going to have value, even if none of them are particularly great players. Like it's just kind of so hard for me to figure out what exactly what they want to do for the offense that I just, I, I don't know. It, I, I'm probably out on Freeman just because kind of to your point, like it's a whack-a-mole situation and it, he, he could get, he could get two carries next week and then 14, the, the, the one after. And I would be like, yeah, that makes sense. I'm struggling here because I'm not sure how much to read into what happened last week as being what the Ravens want to be doing and how much of it was a matchup specific thing to do with the Chargers. I think we've talked a good bit on the show about how the Chargers, they were the 31st ranked run defense entering the week. They may be in last place now. And, you know, shouting out your buddy, Nate Tice, who I think shouted you out on the, the athletic football show recently, the, the Chargers had a huge split in terms of yards per play allowed in base versus in nickel, dramatically better in nickel. And so I think the Ravens entered this game and they're like, yeah, like we're kind of crushing it as a passing team now for the first time in the Lamar era, but let's just straight up line up in 12 personnel and pound the rock against this team that can't stop it in base, right? So like all of the running backs had value this last week. I almost think all three of them scored maybe, uh, but I feel like that is a very specific game plan to the Chargers. And if suddenly you told me that, that Freeman turned around and went back to the 15% snap share last week. If he did that in the future against different types of teams, I would believe that too. So I, I don't know how much to unpack as being the matchup versus what the Ravens want to do more generally. Do you have any, any insight on that fact? I think it's definitely a matchup specific thing. I mean, the chargers, I, I have said, I don't know if I said this on Twitter, but I said it in like a group chat that uh, mm -hmm. the chargers are so bad in base because they're not actually in base because they have Kaiser white on the field, who I don't think is a linebacker. So <laughs> I don't think they're actually in base is kind sure. of my argument. Um, but I think their defensive line is also just horrible. Um, I think what's kind of cool about the Ravens offense is even though their offensive line is not as like talented and strong as they used to be, I think because they designed their run game so well, when you are up against these defensive lines that aren't particularly good against the run, when you get, it's like a favorable enough matchup for their offensive line to block well. And then you have the factor of like Lamar Jackson adding this other element that is kind of just unblockable. Yeah, I think it actually lets their run game be really good in these particular matchups, even if they don't have, you know, 
the offensive line of old. So I could maybe see a guy like Freeman have value again if they if they come up against another bottom eight, you know, rushing defense where mm-hmm. they think that they can get away with this again. But I think against any team that can competently handle the run and has like, you know, more than one good defensive player up front, I think you're probably going to going to see the, the, the Ravens throw the ball a lot more. Probably. You're kind of betting on the rushing touchdown, which granted Latavius mm-hmm. Murray, I think has gotten one in four of his six games, but that may be a little bit harder to guess if, if Murray is out and that would potentially, you know, reactivate that Tyson Williams too. It, it may be pretty difficult to predict who was going to be the player that gets those opportunities. So deep league, maybe only, but Derek, let's stick with the Ravens, a player that I think is more interesting to talk about, if not necessarily more interesting from a fantasy perspective this season. Rookie receiver Rashad Bateman made his debut after starting the year on injured reserve. Uh, I think had a pretty encouraging debut, I would say, from a general perspective. Six targets tied for the most on the team, four catches and 29 yards. But it's hard for me to say that this is trending toward any type of fantasy utility this season. Marquise Brown is enjoying kind of a quiet breakout as having a top 25 target share in the league, which says a lot in an offense that's, you know, tended to rely on passes to the tight ends and running backs in Lamar's era. But what do you think of what you've seen from Bateman in his debut and, and what's going to happen when Sammy Watkins potentially returns from a hamstring injury, maybe even in week seven? I, I thought Bateman was awesome. Um, the thing with Bateman, I think that is so valuable in this offense is that what I will say is he's never going to, I think, eat into Marquise Brown's um, usage because Marquise Brown is just much more of a, a downfield player. He's a lot better at, you know, opening up space, um, both vertically and horizontally and stuff. So I think just such a different player that they're not going to eat into each other. And I think Mark Andrews is almost the same way. He's one of the best, like, field-stretching tight ends in the league. Um, and I think that that's not really, like, Bateman and, and Andrews aren't really going to hurt each other there. And I yeah. don't think Bateman can eat into Andrews' touches in that sense, but that team really, really, really needed an alpha receiver who could just win ISO routes. And what did Bateman do all game? He won ISO routes in like the short to intermediate area. Um, and I think it just gave Lamar Jackson kind of a degree of confidence that he could have this guy who could win these one-on-one routes really consistently. Um, because for all of, of Marquise Brown's value, that's not really what he's good at. He he, he wants to, to get you down the field 20 yards or whatever. Um, yeah. But I think Bateman just did such a good job. I think he ran like a couple of hitches, slants, um, stuff like that. He had the one drop, I think, on a third down that was like really bad, but he was wide open. Like he, he did a good <laughs> job of, of getting space for himself. He just had yeah. like an uncharacteristic drop that I don't think is, I don't think that's going to continue as much as um, I expect him to keep getting open. Um, and he also had one play on like a hitch route where he made a really good move in space immediately after catching the ball that kind of highlighted what he can do as yeah. yards after catch guy. So even if he's not going to be the number one guy in terms of volume in this offense, I think he fills such a particular role, even when Watkins comes back that I'm pretty excited for what he might be. And I would maybe be willing to tick up more, a couple more percent than one. Interesting. Percent, honestly. So like even drop aside, like he, I think it did convert a bunch of third downs and it seems like he could be sort of the premier third down option for the team. But my, my question is like the Ravens are so good at staying ahead of the sticks that like, how much are they going to be stuck in those third and sixes to third and nines where Lamar needs to be throwing on those downs? I just don't know if if we think the volume is going to be there to drive him to shallow league fantasy consideration, I would say. Is this just, I know you're saying you advocate for him, and given that he's inexperienced and a rookie with so much talent, it, I think it definitely makes sense to pick him up from a fantasy perspective and just see. But is this, it seems like a player that might be better in real life than he is in fantasy. Do you, do you see that? I think that's possible, but I also think it's just like we haven't seen the Baltimore offense do very well in like, you know, the short passing area with, you know, these wide receivers because they just didn't have a guy who was good at doing it. And now they have a guy who can. And even though he didn't really get a lot of um, early down usage in this game, I think he was more of like a, you know, late, like when when you need a when you need a bucket, he was the guy who get you a bucket. That's kind of what he was. But I don't know. I think the longer he sits in this offense, I think they're going to try to use him a little bit more than they have um, the last game. So I don't know. I, I think maybe I'm betting on his talent rather than his usage a little bit too much, but I don't know. I think he's just such a good player that he, he's going to end up figuring it out. I like it. Uh, and I also like that we've apparently deputized. I love planking on YouTube on the chat. He's, he's telling <laughs> Rolando Fontanelle that we're going to answer his, uh, his trade question, his keeper questions and stuff at the end of the show. And we will. Thanks so much for everybody watching us live on YouTube. We'll get to all those questions at the end of the show. We've got a couple more waiver names to hit. 
Uh, to me, we're getting down to the range where I'm, I'm really not super excited about these guys, but maybe you'll tell me I'm wrong, Derek. Starting with Donovan Peoples-Jones, wide receiver for the Browns, I'm saying it's a 1% fab bid, probably a deep league only guy here as well. But had the big game, four catches, 101 yards, and two touchdowns on five targets. One of those was the crazy end of, this, end of the first half uh, Hail Mary conversion that Baker had, which that was kind of crazy and fun. The thing about Peoples-Jones is that while it seems great that he's he's playing so much, 78% of offensive snaps this week, he's been playing at least 65% of offensive snaps every week this season, kind of alternating between first Odell Beckham was out, then Jarvis Landry was out. Both of those guys may be back soon, so that number may be going down. And even when he was playing 75% or so of snaps the first four weeks, he only saw like two or three targets over that entire month. He's got six and five the last two weeks, so maybe it's trending, but I kind of feel like the Browns just – these guys come and go, just like in, J in David and Joku had the random big game last week, 150 and one, did nothing the week after. Is that what you're seeing with Peoples Jones, or do you think that he has a chance to break out? The talent might suggest he does, but what do you think? I mean, I think he's an awesome player. Um, yeah. His body control and hands are just like, it's really like, I kind of tweeted about it earlier, but it's almost like when the ball's in the air, his hands like magnetize to the ball and his body just like follows and mm -hmm. does whatever it's supposed to do to make that work. Uh, it's almost like the rest of his body just ragdolls and he finds a way to get it. But I think his body control is fantastic. His hands are good. And I think um, he does provide that kind of, you know, safety net a little bit more than I think a guy like Odell Beckham does over the middle of the field. Yeah. The problem to me is like Baker is not very good at throwing the middle of the field. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so his, his, his targets in that sense, I think especially you saw through the first few weeks were really limited, even though he was, he was good at that. And I think a lot of his um, targets beforehand, like before these past couple of weeks were like pretty much him only exclusively getting back shoulder targets um, down the field, which like he was good at those, but that was kind of all he was providing. And then a lot of his stuff over the middle of the field is going to be a little bit more contested. And we know that Baker Mayfield is a little bit up and down, even targeting that stuff, let alone throwing it well. So I think Donovan people Jones is like a good player, but between how crowded some of their, you know, the wide receiver room can be how good they are at getting, you know, their running backs, the ball in space, how much they like to use their tight ends. It's just like, he's a really great player for them in real life. I don't know how good he is in your lineup. If I can't interest you in Donovan Peoples Jones with, with Baker at quarterback, how about with Case Keenum at quarterback? Uh, I'm actually a little <laughs> I mean, bit. He might be more willing to just say screw it and then just chuck one. <laughs> I'm a little bit ahead of my skis right here because I don't really know exactly what's happening. What I do know is that Baker Mayfield has a partially torn labrum in his non throwing shoulder, and he's been playing through it the last couple of weeks. But there's a headline on ESPN right now that basically says the Browns don't think Baker's injury is going to knock him out the rest of the season. But it's phrased in such a way that I'm not even sure he might play next week and he might not play for two months. I, I'm Frankly, he I'm said he's about playing. the situation. He well, said he's playing. I don't know if that's... I'm sure he wants to He's playing. not the doctor, so I don't know. <laughs> I would say it hasn't gone tremendously great it, visually to me the last few weeks playing with the, with the, the torn labrum. I, I know it's not his throwing shoulder, but I mean, that's... I'm sure it's that causes a ton it, yeah. of pain. Like, I'm sure it's causing problems. So it's, it's almost too difficult to say at this point um, in the week. And I know that this is the time when you have to make those waiver decisions, but I'm saying that like the potentially going to case Keenum, I don't think is going to really move the needle for me for, for people's Jones. And while I agree with you that he's a great prospect, I mean, six, two, two, 12, 99th percentile athletic testing and, and various things in the combine. He actually was one of the top 25 football outsiders prospects in the almanac, that article that rivers McCown writes every year. I think is a really fun tool for, for looking for future guys for fantasy perspective. But to me, that's, that's what he is. It's kind of like Bateman, although even a more extreme example where dynasty leagues, yes. Cause you're kind of betting on the talent that I think is there, but mm -hmm. is he going to have fantasy value this year? I don't think so. So I, I wouldn't chase the, the week six production is kind of my advice on the matter. All right. One more waiver guy to hit. It's another Brown. It's Demetric Felton running back uh, really hitting the bottom of the barrel here. Um, but if you if you believe the guys uh, in the chat right now, it sounds like uh, Nick Chubb may be already ruled out for week seven. He missed last week with a calf injury. And then unfortunately, Kareem Hunt suffered a calf injury, too. I think he's going to end up on injured reserve. I think Chubb will be back in two weeks if he's not playing this week. But that still gives you the one week opportunity here to potentially roll with one of these Browns backups. You have Felton and you have Dearness Johnson. Both of them played 20 percent of snaps alongside of Hunt in week six. I don't know if you have an opinion about who you prefer for week seven, but I'll mention that the Browns are playing on Thursday night football against the Broncos. 
They're a top 10 run defense and a top 10 overall defense by DVOA. And so my, I mean, my main thought is honestly, you want to avoid both of these guys, but if I had to pick, I'd pick Felton because I think he's a better like in-space player, going to catch the ball more, has nine catches versus three on the season for Johnson. But I don't know. Do either of these guys kind of move the needle for you at all? Um, Not really at all. Yeah. I, I think especially like when they get guys healthy, like Felton's never going to run the ball. He like he hasn't carried the ball a single time this year. And I think he's, he's a returner. It's He's a returner that's labeled right. running back, right? Yeah, exactly. And like all of his touches are pretty much manufactured out into space. And he is good with the ball in his hands when you can get him these, these screen touches and stuff. But I don't think he's so exceptional that it should be like a bigger part of their offense than it has been, even with some of the running back injuries that they're having. Um and, and I don't know, like he has had some instances of being able to get open downfield. He had the one um, against Rokon Smith who like Rokon Smith is great in coverage, but he's not, he's not the, the most, uh, he doesn't turn as well as you would like, whereas like <laughs> Demetric Felton uh, can turn. is what you're saying. Yeah, he's the linebacker. And so when you can get him to, you know, he ran like an out and then back up to the, to the uh, sideline that he kind of beat Rokon Smith on. And so you do see some flashes like that. And maybe one of these weeks he's going to, he's going to pop and get a couple of those. But I think generally he's going to be more of a guy who catches two passes for 15 yards. Maybe he gets a carry every now and then. And that's pretty much it. And during a Johnson, maybe he'll, he'll run into a touchdown. Like he would probably be the player right. that got those chances if, if they ended up on the brink of the goal line. But I would really encourage you to check out the start and sit article later this week and find somebody else. Like, I just don't think these guys are going to even be, like high-end flex-worthy this week. So you're talking deeper, deeper type of formats for to be considering this. And what I think is a tough matchup that's just going to get tougher if they don't have their normal quarterback this week. All right, that hits the waiver, guys, Derek. But let's round up some of these questions that we've been getting live on YouTube. Again, reminder to everybody that we're live Monday through Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time, YouTube. Uh, you can also watch us live on Twitch, Twitter, and Facebook, but you can ask us questions directly on YouTube. So we'd love for you to catch us there, but wherever you want. Black Teps, uh, Vlad asks, you think Matt Ryan, Mac Jones, and Tyler Higby have a good week seven? I found Michael Thomas on waivers. Well, I'm glad you got Michael Thomas because I think he's going to be back in another week or two, and that's going to probably be a, a great option for you over the second half of the season. Do you have any thoughts on Matt Ryan, Matt Jones, and, and Tyler Higby? Well, I'll say I haven't really looked at the matchups yet, but with Tyler Higby, I've been a bit disappointed because – He's been playing 95% plus of offensive snaps so far this season, but hasn't had the target volume that I expected. And I assume that's because he's in blocking more than he traditionally had been previously without the second tight end. But do you have any thoughts on any of these three players, maybe more generally? Um, with Higby, I'll just quickly say that, like, I think part of it is the blocking, like you're mentioning. And then also, I think because of the way that the offense has opened up and with the receiver talent that they have, I think they've done a much better job with their receivers stretching the field like horizontally and stuff that they're kind of just okay, not even trying to get Higby on any of that. And then like Stafford truthfully is just not a guy who wants to target the short area of the field very much. Mm -hmm. um, and he'll kind of just bypass a lot of his checkdowns or whatever his safety valves yeah. and just throw a 20 yard over route that maybe he shouldn't throw, but he's good enough to throw it and he gets away with it. So I think that's hurting Higby's value a little bit, even if they do like getting him uh, touches on screens. Um, Definitely a guy who I think at this point, better on-field football player than in your lineup. Um, Matt Ryan and Mac Jones. With Mac Jones, I'll say that he has been playing a little bit better. Um, and I think he's doing a little bit better job of, of gauging when he can and should attack down the field. Yeah. Um, the problem is we might be buying it into it a little bit too much because like last week he had the one against Dallas where he hit... I think it was Kendrick Bourne on like the deep ball. The that 75-yarder that the safety yeah. like bit way okay. too hard on. That should have been a pick or an incompletion 95% of the time, but both defensive backs played it incorrectly. Like Devontae Casey plays it way too over the top and he's running to the sideline. Maybe he needed Gatorade, who knows? Yeah. And then Trevin Diggs is playing like outside leverage on it. And he's playing like, you're supposed to play, kind of play like outside and under because you have the safety help over the top who can play on top of you. You thought, but, yes. Yeah, you would think, <laughs> but then Diggs like entirely comes off of it and tries to like undercut it for a pick, misjudges the ball and it goes over its head. And it's like, 
both of these guys could not have played that any worse. <laughs> um, so I think yeah. he got a little bit lucky in that sense. He did. Um, I'm not going to kill Mac Jones for that because in that situation, he's he's trying to force the issue a little bit, right? Maybe trailing, trying to come back, but that doesn't mean Mac Jones is going to be even a top 25 fantasy quarterback the rest of the season. So like, I'm not going to say I have optimism there. I don't. I don't really love any of those guys from fantasy right now. I hate to say. Yeah, but, I think I probably agree. Sticking with some of the Rams, we have another question here from Rolando Fortinell. It's a trade question, and there's a lot of guys involved, but it's Chase Claypool, Corderell Patterson, Mike Evans, and Saquon Barkley. He's potentially trading for Cooper Cup and Matthew Stafford. And my snap judgment is that this is way too much. Like Cup, yeah. Cup is either my second or third true talent wide receiver at this point. I'm definitely believing what I'm seeing there. I think by and large the touchdowns will continue, um, but like – Maybe this is a bold thought, but like, are we sure that Matthew Stafford's a top 10 fantasy quarterback? Like, I know he's playing pretty well in real life. Uh, there are some mistakes too, but like, he doesn't run at all. So it, like, it's, he's going to have to play like Tom Brady to be a clear top 10 option for you at the position. So unless this is a deeper or two quarterback leave, I don't think that Stafford is like a, a slam dunk trade target because you can always mix and match at quarterback if you need to. And I, you know, I'm relatively bullish on Claypool. I think he's getting more targets now that Juju is out for the season. Patterson's been a top 10 fantasy running back. Like Derek, what are your thoughts on Patterson? Is he going to continue to get those type of workloads to support that going forward? I mean, I guess like he's, I still don't know like how confident I am in him as like a between the tackles runner or whatever, but when he gets into space, like he's special, man. Like he's shown that as a returner for so long and he's finally in an offense that is, I guess, uh, really valuing what he provides there. So I think he probably gets continues to get enough touches. So, but I think overall on the trade, I, I probably agree with you. This is like you're giving up a ton of starters for Cup is obviously fantastic. He's going to keep producing, but like Stafford, like how bad is your quarterback situation where this could really be worth it? I have a hard time, you know, I have a hard time reconciling that. Yeah, I mean, Cup is the best player in the deal, but it's too much to pay. One thought mm -hmm. would be maybe could you pare down the deal at all? Like, you know, if you need help at quarterback, maybe specifically target a quarterback. Um, or if you're looking for cup specifically, could you maybe package two of those players to get cup? I don't know if that'll be enough. It seems like his value is probably higher now in the perception than it is in the reality too. Um, but I think that's too much to give up for, for the deal. All right, let's see. Scrolling up. Do we have anything else? Got some more thoughts on Dearness Johnson here. I think we've hit on that a good <laughs> bit. All right. Uh, Josh Jacobs or Chuba Hubbard at RB2. And that in the loser of that versus Cortland Sutton and Flex. Uh, so with Sutton, I'll bring up that I think Jerry Judy was activated from injured reserve is a possibility that he'll play this week. I think it'll probably be a week after if I had to guess, but like that's something from a long-term perspective to keep an eye on with, with Sutton. I'm not looking at the matchups here, so I'm not sure that who I would want to start in general right here, but like, let's say while Christian McCaffrey is out, are you thinking Josh Jacobs or Chuba Hubbard would be the better fantasy value generally from a week to week perspective? I mean, it's tough, but honestly, I was a lot more impressed with the Raiders run blocking last week than I mm -hmm. probably have been at any point in the season. Um, some of that might be like, you know, I know Detroit or Denver's um, their defensive front were kind of missing a couple of guys, mm -hmm. but they had been a generally good run defense yeah. unit. Top um, 10 in Monday Vince DVOA, I think still. Yeah. Yeah. And you would think that even if they were missing a guy or two, they would still be, you know, okay and i think they, they actually got bullied a lot more than i expected them to so i don't know if the raiders are going to be able to do that week in week out but i think it was a much more encouraging sign than we've seen to any point this year so i don't know i think jacobs is straight up the better player and if you are maybe extrapolating what you know they did with the run game this past week to continue a little bit to, to be that good as opposed to what it was the first few weeks then then maybe i think you could maybe lean jacobs i agree um one thing I'll say with Jacobs is that his teammate Kenyon Drake scored two touchdowns last week, but that's a, that's a, that's a trick. Like he's not really getting on the field very much at all. I think only had like four touches on the week, just happened to score on two of them. So they I split mean, him out a lot too. Like they do, that's but really like, his role. And they're not really targeting him a ton in that role. Right. <laughs> I feel like there was a big concern entering the season that Jacobs was going to see a lot less work because of the, the addition of Drake and because they paid him so much money. I don't think that's happening. But I'm not sure everybody's realized that because Jacobs also missed a couple of games with a foot injury. So mm -hmm. I would say in general, I'm pretty bullish on Jacobs. I think he's undervalued in fantasy right now. Uh, so I, I would definitely be relying on him over, over Hubbard. I think he's pretty clearly a top 15 option at the position. 
going forward, even with a relatively you know small target volume. All right, I think that hits all the questions. Thanks so everybody for asking and for following along live, YouTube live, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time every day. Uh, tomorrow, Aaron Schatz will be back with Mike Tanier for an Ask Me Anything, so be sure to shoot those guys questions. I'll be back on Friday for a fantasy preview and back next Tuesday for more waiver wire talk with Derek. Derek, thanks for joining me like you do every Tuesday. What do you have going on on Football Outsiders and elsewhere on the web right now? Um, same old, same old, pretty much. Uh, I think I have an idea of what I actually might be doing for the film room this week. I might be writing about Derek Carr kind of being a different quarterback than I think he has been for most of his career. I think, <laughs> I think the aggression stuff is pretty legitimate. So That's I, I might look into that. So love to see that. All right. Perfect. Everybody check out that great work from Derek and everything else going up on footballoutsiders.com. It's some great content for you to check out, including football outsiders plus well worth the investment. Uh, and then again, thanks for so much for watching. Check us out tomorrow with Aaron and Mike and the other guys. We'll talk to you then.